Hey, everybody, it's Trags, and this week on Red Sox Beat, I welcome back old friend Ian Brown covering all things Red Sox for MLB.com and, of course, RedSox.com. You can follow him on Twitter at Ian M. Brown with an E at the end, all one word. That's I-A-N-M-B-R-O-W-N-E. Welcome back, Ian. Have you gotten your uh, rest after a victorious games three and four? I did, Trax. My goal today was not to have to set an alarm clock, and I didn't. And uh, I just got a great sleep for the first time in days. That's great. Uh, but it's it's been an exhausting ride, Trax. You know you've covered enough playoff runs to know um, yep. just how tired. It's mentally and physically tiring, man. You get into this thing, and there's like a different – uh, intensity level that ratchets up for the players and it ratchets up uh, for the media too. And There's no question about that. And um, you made the point before we started recording. So I'll give you the props, even though I was thinking the same thing, damn it. And that is that the last two nights of watching the Red Sox, as we both have you in person and me from afar has been like the 2003 ALCS games four and five. Very, very similar feel, both at Fenway Park uh, in 03 and both at Fenway, of course, this time as the Red Sox eliminate the Rays three games to one. It was really amazing to me how much of a throwback it was. Yeah, actually, 04 was the, was the one I was talking I'm about. I'm sorry, 04, yes. Yeah, games of course. Four five, but yeah, I mean, in, in 04, you had that 12-inning game. Uh, they're down 3-0. And you had the 12 inning game in game four that Dave Roberts needed to steal the base and then uh, Poppy hit the walk off. And then uh, here in game three, you have a 13 inning game um, when they seem to be in control of the game and, and lost the lead in the eighth inning. And then uh, Christian Vasquez of all people, you got to love the unlikely heroes, Trags. I know you yep. like catchers too. Uh, but I do. <laughs> he was the, uh, the eighth catcher in postseason history to hit a walk-off homer uh, in a playoff game. And it was, uh, he hadn't hit a homer in a month. And Vasquez is just one of those guys that, uh, you know, he gives you something kind of when you least He's a warrior. Him. Yeah, he is. He really is. And uh, he's kind of a, a heart and soul guy on this team. And then you, then you come back the next day, Treggs, you're up 5 nothing in the third inning. Um, we're all writing our, uh, you know, they did this. They're in the ALCS. You know, who would have thought? And then the, you can't give enough credit to the Rays. I mean, they just, they, they. Wander Franco, man. When he hit the home run, the tenor, and and you could speak to this better than I can. I think the yeah. tenor of the game changed when Franco went deep. He's an unbelievable player, Treggs. 20 years old. I don't remember, you know, you saw Juan Soto. Yeah. Um, for the Nationals uh, two years ago, but you don't see many guys at that age who are that impressive. And I, I absolutely loved watching him play. Um, all season, really, and especially in this series. But, you know, give credit to the Red Sox because, again, you know, how many teams can blow a 5 nothing lead at home like that? And there's a runner. On, don't forget, there's a runner on second and nobody out. Yes. It just is absolutely terrible last night. Uh, Renfro, by the way, I just need to get this off my chest. Track sure. That's fundamental baseball. Um, all se- he's got a great arm. All season long, he's been throwing to the wrong base. Uh, he makes a needless throw to the plate there. Um, when or there was no play at the plate, right? And then so that puts, um, I think it was uh, Rosa, uh, Rosarina at second instead of first. So now Garrett Whitlock's coming in, man on second, nobody out, and he gets the next. Uh, he gets the next three guys. He gets through the ninth, and that now you just need another walk off in the bottom of the ninth. 
And uh, just kind of a, a, a little gritty rally here. The Red Sox can play small ball when they have to. You know, Vasquez sets the table with a single. Christian Arroyo, one of the best sacrifice bunts I've seen all season. I mean, this is a lost art track. Guys don't know how to oh, bunt. Tell me about it. I Look, I've had Alex Barthon from 98.5, the sports, yeah. sports hub, and we have argued all season long that the Red Sox just don't seem – to care about putting a bunt down, but then it comes to a situation like last night and, and, and like, you know, Tuesday, Monday night, and they execute when it's needed the most. It was a great bunt. And then your guy from Ohio, Travis Shaw, yep. uh, as Alex, as Alex Cora would say, put the ball in play. His core is like, always like, if you put the ball in play, good things can happen. He hits a little squibber to third. Uh, he's probably one of the slowest, probably the slowest non-catcher on the team. But he's busting it down the line, and the third baseman, I think, with Diaz, uh, just rushes the throw, makes a bad throw. Um, Choi, probably a smart move. He boxes the yes, thing. Yes, uh, it and was. stops it from going out of play rather than trying to sell out and make the scoop. Um, and then now you're really set up, and now you bring up Kike Hernandez, who's your hottest hitter. Uh, I mean, good for Kike for not trying to be the hero and hit a grand slam. He's like, um, once uh, he was great talking about this after the game, he said, once Cora brought Danny Santana in to run for Vasquez at third, he said, now the message I know, was clear. I don't need a really deep fly ball. Right. He's like, Hernandez was hilarious, by the way, in the postgame press conference. He said, I would have needed a home run to score Christian from third. Uh, but, uh, you know, he had the little 300 foot fly ball uh, play at the plate, not even close. And then the Red Sox walk off and they're in the, uh, you know, they're in the ALCS. So, uh, just just a wild two days at Fenway Trags. Yeah, it, it just and it was fantastic baseball to watch on television. Um, once you got drawn back into the game, uh, once the Rays made it a game, and that's why I thought you know Wander Franco, I think brought a lot of eyeballs back into uh, or onto FS1. I th- I'm sure people at five nothing, and with um, Erod really essentially cruising through five innings. They were on to Monday night football. They, you know, might've flipped on to the giants and Dodgers early on. And then, you know, you check your phone and all of a sudden the rays are coming back and then boom, that's what happened. Um, I'm speaking with uh, Ian Brown, of course, of redsox.com covering all things Red Sox for MLB.com. Uh, Ian, I want to get to your point that, you believe there's one person primarily responsible for this great turnaround and it's not a player. It's manager, yeah. Alex Cora. Why is that? Yeah, this guy, uh, tries, he set the tone from the day he got back here. I remember just, um, first press conference to spring training, just being so impressed and saying, you know, they, they missed this. This guy is just, uh, he's full of fire. He knows how to get the most out of each guy on his roster. He has a way of relating to the players he has a way of being demanding with the players, but not in a way where they feel like sure. it's highway. Yep. Uh, they want to they run through a wall for this guy. And, uh, you know, he just, uh, just the way he manages them in October also, he's a riverboat gambler, man. He's, he's, he's throwing a starting pitch. He's throwing Tanner Houck for five innings, uh, you know, in game two after Sale gives up the grand slam and you think the Red Sox are going to go down 2-0. And, uh, you know, he just uh, look at what he did with Nick Pavetta in game three, where Pavetta was on two days rest. He had thrown uh, 73 pitches out of the bullpen in game one. And he throws another 67 pitches in four innings in in game three. And that's really the biggest reason that they won that game. So Cora, 
uh, pulls out all the stops um, in October. He knows he knows his team so well. He knows how to get the most um, out of his personnel. This isn't to say that every move he tries works, but uh, more often than that than not, he is pushing the right buttons. There's no manager a team would probably rather have than Alex Gore, especially um, in October now. Trags and look at his October record. I think he is uh, he's now 15 and four in 19 career playoff games. He is, I think, the stat. Uh, Trags is six and zero in potential uh, clinch games right yes, now. Yes, it Alex is, and they are. I think the Red Sox are something like fourteen and one in their last fifteen. Yeah, potential clinch games going back to oh eight, I think it is, yeah, or oh four, something crazy yeah, like that. It's crazy because Cora with the he's six and zero now in potential clinch games. Um, the only manager who um, won more games before a loss in the elimination game was one Terry Francona who won hmm. seven such games um, before he finally lost an elimination game in game seven of the uh, 2008. Uh, in Tampa playoffs. Bay. Yeah. Tampa Bay, which he very right. close, came close to winning that game. So, yeah, Cora is just, uh, you know, he, he sets the tone on those team tracks, and they were so smart to bring him back. Um, it was not an easy to say. A lot of people thought it was a no-brainer <clears throat> to bring him back, but coming off the, the scandal with Houston, uh, Bloom thought long and hard about kind of bringing in his own guy, making, you know, a lot of GMs like to have their own guy, but he interviewed Alice Cora in a tarmac tracks in an airport yep. tarmac, I think in, um, in Puerto Rico. Uh, and that was where their job interview took place. You know, no, no, no frills, no glamor. And Cora just won Bloom over, um, in that interview. So good for Bloom for not being GM was like, I got to bring my own. Right. And I want to ask you something. I want to ask you something. First of all, your thoughts when Erod at 78 pitches was pulled Monday night from that game with a 5-1 lead. Yeah, Trags. You know, I think I'm a little bit like you and I'm a little bit old school and it's driving me. This isn't just a core thing. This is like every manager in baseball. I think I know where you're going and I am going to agree, but go ahead. (laughs) It's just like, if you get a starter going well, you know, ride the guy a little bit. And, uh, you know, you could say the same thing about um, Avaldi the day before. Yes. Throwing great. But uh, so this is just the way baseball is going. And I don't want to get on an old man rant. But oh, would, hey, the, the, the platform is yours. Ian. Yeah, you are like the guest. Tracks with the starter. This is my only criticism of Cora. When the starter is cruising, let the guy go until he gives up trouble. Erod was nails last night he was i agree he was on literally he was unhittable except for the one opposite field i think it was a rosarina uh leading off the fourth inning something like that um yeah that was it that was it really the only really well hit ball the only reason i felt like erod was going to pitch like that last night is because this has been erod all year his best starts are followed by his worst starts his worst starts are followed by his best starts um, he's just the most unpredictable pitcher in the world, except for the fact that he's like kind of like an every other outing guy. So when he was as bad as he was in game one, and that was Cora at his best, by the way, in game one, when he was getting Erod out after he only got five outs. I think he'd only given up two runs at the time, but he said, you know, he's out of here. We're not going to no. right. chance this. And then, you know, for him to come back like he did yesterday, just a great performance um, by Rodriguez. But yeah, I agree with you. I think that you know, maybe you try to, See if you can get him through this through the sixth there instead of just the, the, the 15 outs. 
I, I just like having the ability to manage your bullpen differently later in games. And, and part of that might be in that he knows that there's a three batter minimum, right? So yeah. he doesn't want, he's not going to have the ability to use left, right, left, right. You can't do that as yeah. much as you used to be able to. So if you're going to get the most out of your bullpen, that is a rationale for pulling your starter early. If you think you have enough quality arms in the bullpen right. that you want to make use of in a play in a postseason game, then you have to pull the starter earlier to get the most out of that, uh, you know, to get the most out of your bullpen. Yeah. And Cora talks about pockets all the time. Like there's a pocket for a certain reliever. So he prescripts a lot of this stuff, which a lot of these guys are doing now. And you saw the worst case of prescripting of all time. You know where I'm going with this is Kevin Cash in game six of the yep. World Series last year. Uh, that was the worst prescript ever. And it cost, it might have caused, it definitely cost his team game seven, might have cost them, you know, a championship. But I think that there's a little bit of that at play. And look, a lot of this time, this analytic stuff works. Um, so if Tanner Houck doesn't give up the two-run homer to, to Franco, who's just an unbelievable player, as we discussed, um, you know, we're probably not, you know, we're probably not, uh, we're probably not talking about this, but it's just the way baseball is in 2021. Um, it's not going to change anytime soon. And that's you're just going to have to live with it. And Cora, uh, you know, he gets the results. It might not look pretty at times, but um, he, he ultimately got what he needed uh, last night. Chatting up Ian Brown of RedSox.com and MLB.com. We're back in better than ever. All things are on the gridiron. His teams are back for another football season. As always, Bet Online is your number one spot for all the pro and college football action this season. With a new updated site and interface, even more odds, props, and contests, Bet Online continues to be the number one source for everything football. Head on over to the website or, of course, use your mobile device to sign up today to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Don't forget to use our promo code CLNS50 to receive your bonus. From football, basketball, boxing, right to your favorite Vegas casino games, do not wait to take advantage of all of the amazing offers available for the 2021 season. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to bet all of your favorite sports. Bet online where the game starts. Back with Ian Brown of RedSox.com. Ian, I, you know, we touched on it a little bit uh, just a few moments ago. Heim Bloom. If you give credit to Alex Cora, I'm going to choose Heim Bloom for putting together a roster. I don't think anybody envisioned being this good um, this late in the 2021 season, I think uh, most Red Sox fans had written this season off to maybe 80, 85 wins, maybe touch 90, but not getting into the playoffs. But uh, Heim Bloom has put together a roster that has clicked on all cylinders in the last two weeks. And in this division series that the Red Sox wrapped up on Monday night, uh, over a 100-win Tampa team that a lot of people thought were going to win their first World Series in franchise history. The Red Sox had the deeper roster, both in pitching and on offense. Yeah, uh, Bloom doesn't get the credit he deserves. Traction. This is a he guy should. Who's, and he doesn't care what the um, – and this is the most important thing for a GM. If you talk to Theo Epstein or you talk to guys like that, the most important thing for a GM is not to have thin skin – and not to make your moves based on what the public perception is going to be. This guy, this guy traded Mookie Betts, the face of the franchise, because you know, he sensed that they weren't going to be able to re-sign him. Or he's, either that or he sensed that John Henry didn't want to 
give a 12-year contract to Mookie Betts. And I'm not as outraged at this as certain fans are because, you know, I have a hard time giving 12-year contracts because how often do those contracts, how often are they good? Very rarely. Yeah. So they they decided they were going to trade Mookie Betts. Uh, Heimblum, he was patient. He waited that entire offseason until he finally got a deal he liked with the Dodgers. He got Alex Verdugo, who is a very, very good player. And he's not only a good player, but he's the kind of guy who really you, – you put those lights on in October, Trags, and he, he loves that spotlight. And uh, he's giving it to them in these playoffs. So whether or not you ever get anything from Jeter Downs, um, who looks like, you know, he could be a bust of a prospect. Uh, you got Alex Cor- You got Alex Verdugo with five years of club control when you got him. Right. So this was – you still have him for another three years. Uh, so that was a tremendous trade. And then just uh, – some of the moves he made this offseason that went under the radar, Kike Hernandez, who is the perfect example of a guy that Cora can get the most out of. Cora saw this guy as an everyday player when everyone else said, you know, this guy's been a utility player his entire career. Uh, look at what he did in the series. He was he was their best hitter in the series. No question about that. For about a, <laughs> for about a two-month span this season, he was one of the best leadoff hitters in baseball, and uh, he's just another big-game player. Um and at the trade deadline tracks, uh, Bloom got absolutely destroyed. Right. Got Anthony Rizzo and the Rays got Nelson Cruz. And who does Heim Bloom get? He gets Kyle Schwarber, who, oh, he's on the IL with a hamstring injury. And, um, you know, everyone's like, oh, he's not going to be able to play for two weeks. You realize, like, if you can make the playoffs, how small a period of time two weeks is. This guy came back. He's been the best. He's been the best hitter that any team got at the trade deadline. And the Red Sox gave up like a, a, a prospect who was barely in their top 20, where um, Rizzo was going to take probably two, two top 15 prospects to get and either And either a Whitlock or a Tanner Houck to get him. Right, yeah. Now, you don't do that. And I agree. Yeah. And I was not as outraged, like you, I was not as outraged that they didn't get Anthony Rizzo because I think – Heimblum made his made up his mind Ian, that they weren't going to part ways with the future just to get a replacement player. And you've seen that in so many cases over the Dave Dombrowski era, they weren't going to do that. And, and what, what, what was said when Heimblum came in and took over, he was brought in to rebuild the Red Sox farm system and, and keep the Red Sox competitive, but rebuild everything. You're not going to trade away your prospects. And you know what else the beauty of Heimblum is, Trags, is that he honestly looked at the hitters that were available and the way he thinks, he likes Schwarber the best out of every hitter out there. And he was like, this is a guy we're going to be able to buy low on because he's on the IL. And he is a Heimblum type of hitter. He is relentless. <laughs> he never, never swings at a bad pitch. Mm-hmm. He loves to play in big games. He wasn't a great defensive fit for this team, which is why a lot of people criticized the move. At first, he was a little bit like, um, square peg, um, round hole here. He never really played first base. Um, so what, uh, just because of the way the roster was constructed um, and because of other guys who were out, you were, you were DHing him and playing him a lot in left field when you first got him. And now you're, you know, you're playing him at first base against righties uh, here, here in October. Um, you are playing him in, uh, you know, you're going to play him in, uh, in left field, I think against, uh, you know, against lefties. But, you know, you're finding a way to, to, to get him in the lineup every day. And his bat 
has been as important as anyone on this team. And he not only his at bats, but it's rubbing off on the rest of the team. He's he's making the rest of these guys better hitters. Um, just watching his at bat, I had no idea how good a player this guy was. Well, I, that's why Alex Cora, Ian, trusts him as a leadoff hitter. I mean, right. I think yeah. a lot of people were surprised. And correct me if I'm wrong, Ian, but I think a lot of people were surprised when they saw him in the divisional series against Tampa as a leadoff hitter. Do yeah, you agree? Because they had he had let off of Kike all year. Um, and that really, I think it started actually in the Yankees wildcard games when he first put uh Schwarber right. at the top at the top and Schwarber homeward that night. And uh, Schwarber was when he was on that historic run with the Nationals this year, when he was hitting a home run uh every day, two home runs sometime. Yes, especially in the leadoff spot. So he's not your prototypical leadoff guy, but he he works he works counts as well as anyone in baseball. He has as good a plate discipline as anyone. So I think it was a stroke of genius, Trags, honestly, uh, making that move. And it's really uh, gotten Kike going also because Kike was in a little bit of a slump. I think it took some pressure off him. And now every time he comes up, uh, Schwarber's on base. For all of the talk, Ian, of Raphael Devers, we haven't really even spent any time talking about the guy who kick-started game four with the three-run bomb to center field. Um, but we haven't talked about Raphael Devers. We haven't talked about Sander Bogarts, and we really haven't touched on J.D. Martinez, uh, who also played a big role in the divisional round series win over yeah. Tampa. But there are three players that got a lot of attention. We've already touched on Kike Hernandez. He went, he hit 450 uh, with three doubles, two homers, and six RBIs in the series. Tanner Houck and Garrett Whitlock, to me, the way Corey used them are the reason they're advancing to the LCS. Absolutely. And look, they lost Whitlock um, for the last uh, three weeks, for the last 11 days of the regular season. Or, right. He a, okay. He had a pectoral strain and this was uh, a devastating loss. And this is why I think it was a little harder for them to clinch the playoff spot than they originally thought. People forget that when they got swept in that uh, just devastating, it seemed series against the Yankees, uh, September 24th through 26th at Fenway Park. Uh, they did not have Whitlock. He was out at that point. And he's just a rule five pick tracks who you got from the Yankees. I mean, yes. how much thing the Yankees that you just pick this guy up on the rule five draft and he's your best relief pitcher. He's been uh, nails all year. And um, Cora just, you know, he said Whitlock is the biggest reason they won uh, game four. The same way no that question. Nick Pavetta was the biggest reason they won game three. Uh, the same way Tanner Hawk was the biggest reason they won game two. You just look at the way Cora in all three of those games, pick the right guy, Trags, yes. to sort of lean on in the biggest spot. And Whitlock, to me, he's one of the best stories of baseball. I mean, can you remember a Rule 5 pick? Not like this. He's the most dominant reliever, let alone in the regular season, but also in the playoffs. I can't remember this. You know, Johan Johan Santana is probably the best Rule 5 pick um, that modern-day fans have ever seen. But uh, just to see Garrett Whitlock do this, it's been remarkable. And Tanner Houck, also a 25-year-old kid who's mainly been a starter. And Cora had decided to kind of transition him to bullpen down the stretch. And he really gave the Rays uh, fits there in game two. And now you have these two guys, um, plus Pavetta. You don't know how you're going to use him, you know, in, in the ALCS. But Cora's got some, you know, as, as leaky as his, his bullpen is right now, he's got some guys he can he can rely on to get uh, uh, bulk innings. Let me ask you, 
do you think are are they realistically expecting anything out of Matt Barnes? No, Trags. He's an utter mess right now. And I say this, uh, it's tough to say because I like it. As respectfully as you can possibly say. Yeah, he's just a good guy. He's a stand-up guy. But watching him pitch Trags in game one, or no, not game one, game two, sorry. Right. He came out in the ninth inning and threw a 33-pitch ninth inning with an eight-run lead, okay? Where all you're trying to do is just throw strikes. And he couldn't do his mechanics. I don't know if you saw it, Trags. You were a... he was falling off the mound. His yes. He had no idea where his fastball was going. So I think Trags, um, Sawamora, they're going to go Sawamora or Darwinson Hernandez. You're not going to see Matt Barnes. I'll be shocked if, if he's on the, the uh, ALCS roster. Remember, yeah. he got put on the DS roster is when Garrett Richards strained his hamstring and Correct. off that roster. Uh, Richards is, again, unavailable for the ALCS because of the, the MLB rule that if you get pulled off, in the middle of a round, you have to miss the next round. But I think, um, you know, Sawamora is, is the guy for the next round. He's been solid for the team all year. But Barnes, um, you just hope they gave him a two-year extension, you know, with a third-year option. You just hope that he can regather this offseason and figure it out for next year because, you know, you hate to see guys who are in their head this much, and it's just like a mental thing with him more than physical right now where he just he, he he just can't get out of his own way right now. So it's been uh, – you know, this guy was their best reliever in the first half of the season. He made the all-star. Yes. I mean, that's what's just stunning about how yeah. it's completely fallen off the table for, for Barnes. Yeah. Yeah. So again, Trex, I just don't think that they can, uh, I don't think there's enough time to salvage him uh, here in 2021. Probably not. Um, I also want to bring up some perspective on Tampa. They didn't have Tyler glass. Now mm-hmm. Tommy John surgery. They didn't have Blake Snell and they didn't have Charlie Morton. Those are three big pieces of the 2020 American League championship uh, Tampa Bay Rays that were out of the rotation and that they had to find a way to replace. And they just didn't have the depth in the in the rotation to do it. And good on the Red Sox to take advantage of that. Trags, you just hit on why Kevin Cash is the overwhelming favorite um, for the AL manager of the year. Because not enough is made out of what this guy did, getting 100 wins out of a team that lost their ace pitcher, that um, got rid of two big-time veteran pitchers uh, in the offseason, and they were just supposed to bounce back. You know, I was wondering in spring training, how the hell is this team going to do what they did last year um, without these two guys? And then they lost glass now, and I'm like, how the hell is this team going to do this? And he just finds that this guy, Trags, he is a tremendous manager. Because of all this raise waste stuff, I don't think Cash gets a lot of the credit he deserves. <laughs> but he learned from Tito. You know, look at this Tito. Trags, look at this Tito. Here's another story for a different day. Look at this Tito managerial tree. Uh, Dave Roberts, Gabe Kapler, uh, Alex Cora, Kevin Cash. What are all these guys, these four managers who are still managing right now? Our Cash is out now, though. But the other three guys, you know, what are what do all these guys have in common? They all played for Tito Francona, who was close with all of these guys. Um, and I think these guys all knew that they weren't going to, they weren't great players. So they were going to, uh, thought they might, they wanted to stay in baseball after they were done playing and they all absorbed how Tito. You know Ray- what, you know what, what strikes me as a similarity or a similar trait among all three or four of those uh, gentlemen that you mentioned, they all have 
a unique, uncanny sense of marrying their player with the game situation. They can yeah. all motivate those players and get them ready for using them in a particular game situation as well as anybody. And look, Gabe Kapler might be the most surprising one of all of the ones you named yeah. simply because it was such a disaster in that regard in Philadelphia. <laughs> if there was one situation where a guy was not suited for a particular city, it was Gabe Kapler in Philly. Yeah, he was a he was a bad fit in Philly. And look, Philly fans, you're either one of their you're either one of them or you're, or you're not. And they yep. just did not take to him. That's uh, right. Gerardi is much more of a Philly type of guy. Um, but they just they just haven't had the roster either. And, uh, and it's been great to see Gabe kind of get back on his feet. Uh, accountability, dude. That's accountability an inside, too, inside baseball there. Literally. Yeah, but but uh, no, and the one thing I think that these guys, they learned from Tito also, they learned how to deal with players, Treg. They learned that you treat every player in your roster – they're not the same. Each one of these guys uh, has a heart that beats a little bit differently and you have to know how to get the most out of every one of these guys. And I think that all of these guys have learned that they learned it from Terry Francona and I, I can't be impressed enough with all of these guys. And I, you know, I feel old cause I covered them all as players and now I'm watching them as managers and I like them all a lot, all four of these guys. And it's been fun to watch them have success in this, uh, this second level of their career. Core was actually the guy I probably knew the least as a player, just because I don't know. I just didn't, uh, for whatever reason, he just wasn't as much of a thought on the, on those Red Sox teams, but um, just watching all these guys um, it, it's been, it's been cool to, to see what, what they've done. I'm going to wrap up here and um, to get your feelings and your thoughts, as we look forward to the Red Sox in the American league championship series, I do believe that the, the momentum of the series turned around when the Red Sox were down five two after the Jordan Luplo uh, grand slam and they didn't hang their heads and they found a way to come back and outscore them 12 to one the rest of the way. I actually think when, when that happened to Tampa, they were shell shocked and they never recovered. I agree, Track. There was two things in the series. That and the craziest ground rule double any of us have ever seen. <laughs> yes. Rule 2021. Um, it was perfectly within the rules, just like the tuck rule was, but it was perfectly preposterous. They got screwed. Um, have any of us ever seen a ground rule double uh, hit the wall on the fly, bounce off a player's thigh, and bounce into the bullpen to cost you uh, the go-ahead run in, in extra innings or any inning, really? Uh, it was unbelievable, and I think that they were shell-shocked from that, and good for them for getting off the mat the way they did coming back from 5 nothing in Game 4. It just shows the resilience of that team, but yeah, it was just too much to overcome. And you look at the Red Sox tracks. This is how crazy the season has been. Not only did they lose Game 1, 5 nothing, they just looked out of sorts. I mean, uh, Randy Steele's home, Josh Taylor's not even looking. The Red Sox just looked completely like out of touch and that game, and then uh, to see Sale do what he did in game two, you know, he's your most accomplished pitcher. You think that's a psychological blow? And uh, I think it was Bogarts and Verdugo, I think, set the tone for this comeback when they hit back-to-back -back home runs. I think it was the third inning of game two. All of a sudden, you're back in. It's no longer five to two. It's five to four now. And then Kike tied it with a homer, and then on and on. Uh, it went and they just showed that they were they were not going to be denied and they they proved their mental toughness to be quite honest and this team tracks another thing that i want to look at before we go mm -hmm. 
is that I think the final weekend of the season in Washington, when the Red Sox were back into a corner, uh, they had been swept by the Yankees. They lost two out of three. I call it the Yankees hangover in Baltimore against the frigging Orioles drags. They yeah. lost two out of three against the Orioles. They're two games behind the Yankees going into the last week of the season. And they're back last weekend of the season. Their backs were against the wall. Playing, granted, against a not a very good Washington team, but Washington took them to the brink in all three of those games. And the Red Sox found ways to win Christian Vasquez with just a huge game-tying triple on the Saturday game. Uh, they're down five to one in, game, in the last game. And at that point, you know, they're down five to one track. You're thinking, okay, this team is going to be playing a tiebreaker game. Game number 163 at Fenway Park against the Toronto Blue Jays, the team nobody wanted to face in these playoff tracks. That is a murderous lineup. And for them to get back in that game, to come back in that game, and Rafael Devers just carried them in that game to win that game, that changed everything. It changed the entire confidence level. It changed the entire momentum level of this team to, to see the season sort of flashing be, uh, before the rest tracks. Because I, I firmly believe if they had gone to a tiebreaker 162 um, against Toronto, um, I firmly believe they were, they were going to lose that game. Yeah, and and I understand why you say that because yeah. Toronto's lineup is relentless, and um, it's, built they, for, it's built for Fenway too, Charles. It's built for Fenway, and uh, this would have been a tight feeling. That Vlad game. would. I I don't think they would have had any answer for Vlad, and I think they yeah. were intimidated by Vlad. And uh, who yeah, wouldn't I mean, be? I, just, I have memories of a Sunday afternoon game in Boston. I think it was in June when the Blue Jays hit. <laughs> six home runs. I don't even remember how many and beat the Red Sox 18 to four. And there was a, another game in Toronto in August where the Red Sox had a big lead. And then that's that, the that was the Sunday game. Yeah. The Sunday game. With that Boston was, look, I know there were, there were some really bad losses during the regular yeah. season. So yeah. I think that one in Toronto still to me is their worst loss of the year. I mean, right. I, you cannot name another game that is as hideous is that yeah. loss was as particularly at the time because that was the loss if i recall allowed toronto to leapfrog them temporarily yeah maybe? the terrible look it was the terrible loss at the end of a terrible road trip in which they had um started by getting swept in tampa by the rays right at the yes. trade Red Sox were actually in first place when that series started they lost first place for good then i believe they went to um detroit and i think they lost two out of three two, two out of three mm-hmm yeah, and then I think they managed to um, – I can't remember the Toronto. They either split the four-game series. They lost uh, three out of four, but just – yeah, just the, They the, lost three out of four, yeah. Yeah, the Sunday game, that was a terrible loss, a terrible road trip. The Red Sox looked they, like they were on the brink of just falling apart, and they found a way, man. They found a way like they did all year to kind of get up off the mound. They looked like they were sinking, and that's what I'm saying they did in Washington also. And they did it in this Tampa Bay series. So it's kind of a theme with this team. It's just their, their, uh, their resilience. Well, I want everybody to do themselves a favor, especially if you're a Red Sox fan, and follow Ian Brown's coverage of the Red Sox as they advance to the 2021 American League Championship Series by virtue of a three games to one victory over Tampa Bay and the American League Divisional Series. Nobody does the Red Sox any better and covers them any better than one Ian M. Brown with an E at the end on Twitter. Make sure you follow him. Also follow his coverage on redsox.com and mlb.com. 
Ian, you're a great friend, obviously, you know that. And uh, it's always a blast having you on the Red Sox Beat podcast. Guys, it was great talking to you. A lot of fun uh, talking Red Sox with you. And uh, it's been a series. This season has been a thrill ride. And uh, no matter what happens going forward uh, in this next round, I don't think you can say enough about this 2021 Red Sox team. Sometimes the best rides are the unexpected ones, Ian. That's what I've come to know. Yeah, you're, you're damn right about that, Trice. Want to thank everybody for downloading today's Red Sox Beat podcast. Thank our terrific guest, Ian Brown of MLB.com. Also want to thank our terrific sponsor, betonline.ag. For Ian Brown, I'm Mike Petralia, and this has been the Red Sox Beat podcast powered by CLNS Media.